It's interesting because at jerryratcliffe.com, they have a very fascinating and insightful article up about five things learned from Virginia in their victory over William & Mary over the weekend. I would say all of it take with a grain of salt because it's William & Mary, but there are at least positives that you can take as the Wahoos head into the bye week right at the midway point of the year, and we do get to address those right now in Covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. With JerryRatcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, above all, is this an opportunity for Virginia fans and frankly coaches and players to at least say, okay, we at least saw a win even if there are still plenty of other uh, things that need to be addressed even from this not-so-convincing 14-point victory over William & Mary. Yeah, Ed, I think so. I think the fact that just the fact that they won, uh, I mean, there's nothing worse than having loser hung over your program's title uh, for so long. I mean, it was the nation's second longest losing streak. So just to get that monkey off your back has to be a good feeling amongst the players and the everybody involved in the program and the fan base. Uh, yeah, I know it was against an FCS opponent and all that, but still a win is a win, and uh, you got to learn how to win at some point. And they showed some signs Saturday that they found some ways to overcome some adversity. They made some adjustments on the offensive line, I think, which helped their running game. The running game and um, was pretty effective against a pretty good def- women Mary defense. It was ranked number one in the country in FCS. And, you know, uh, Tony Musket showed some resiliency, uh, some toughness coming back from hurting his shoulder on the diving for a first down. And, you know, just just some general uh, facets of the game where they showed some toughness and, and abilities to bounce back. And to, once they had a chance to take control, they took control. So... I think there were some positives to be taken out of there. I don't know if that's going to translate into more wins or not because the schedule is certainly not favorable in the second half. They play four ranked teams, I believe, and uh, with a combined record of something like 19-2. and two. Um, There'll be a couple of games where they'll have opportunities, but uh, they still have to continue to improve in order to do this. And uh, the bye week came at a pretty good time. It did for Virginia. They get a win. They at least have some momentum heading into the bye week. That is one of the positives. Um, Is there a psychological advantage for this team? Just having seen a victory in some form or fashion that can at least show, okay, the hard work will pay off, even if it's uh, only a moderate amount of times that will actually happen the remainder of the year. I think so, Ed, because I think this gave them a little bit of confidence. They, they know that they were close in, in at least three other games. They had double-digit leads over three opponents and blew all three of them. Uh, the fact that they know that they can compete into the fourth quarter and, and then the big emphasis last week was finishing and playing a good fourth quarter, and they, they, they pretty much did. So, yeah, I think at least going into Chapel Hill two weeks from now, they'll at least have some confidence that they can go down there and perhaps make it a four-quarter game. And if you do that, who knows? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the goal for Virginia, certainly, as they get to that point. Jerry Ratcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe is with us here in the fast lane. Hootie, from the win itself for Virginia, what was your take on how Virginia has been handling the quarterback situation with Tony Musket's injury and not inserting Anthony Calandria into the lineup because it was only a couple of plays that he ended up missing? And it sure appears right now Virginia's intention is, unless it's a long stretch of time, they want to preserve Calandria's redshirt. Absolutely. That's what the plan was going into Saturday's game. We saw it uh, a couple of times once on a fourth and one and they brought in uh, Broster House the third team quarterback to run the sneak play uh, something he had been working on in practice and something that was rare in UVA in recent years because they actually took a snap from under center uh, instead of using Calandria and Calandria has appeared in four games if he plays in a fifth game his red shirt will be burned and they don't want to do that. They they would like to go the rest of the year and not play him, redshirting this for the rest of this season and have him available for four more years. Uh, I assume that they have talked to Calandria and he's agreed to this. Otherwise, um, uh, you know, he could be looking at another quarterback going into the transfer portal because certainly he's going to be a, a high commodity after this season should he choose to be. So people are always looking for a quarterback who's proven that he can move the chains on, on the FCS level. Yeah, I mean, the value of that position speaks for itself. So does the work of JerryRatcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, thank you for your time. Always great to catch up with you, and we'll speak again in a week as the Wahoos get ready for a trip to Chapel Hill. All right, yeah, thank you. See you soon. Jerry Ratcliffe with us here in the Fast Lane. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, hokey, hokey high. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies with David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. David, a couple of interesting points in regards to Virginia Tech's loss, 39-21, down at Florida State this past weekend. Was this anything different than what we thought it was going to be which was a game where ultimately Florida State won by a handy margin, uh, but did not quite cover the spread, missing it by a couple of points. Yeah, Ed, great to be with you as always. No, I think it was almost exactly what we thought. Uh, I had Virginia Tech losing uh, 41-17 right at the 24-point spread. It was 39-17, so I was close. Uh, but I think um, I think the way it played out was – kind of sort of maybe not how we thought it was going to play out. Um, I did not have Bayshaw Dutton taking a kickoff back for a touchdown, I'll tell you that much. Um, that was a pretty explosive play, 99 yards for a score. Um, I, I think also, though, the big plays that Florida State had, two yard, two touchdown runs of 50-plus yards, I think that's kind of what I expected. So, in a way, a little bit of what we expected, a little bit different. I, I thought the Hokies showed some positive signs offensively. But on the other end, on the defensive side of the ball, it was a lot of the same, a lot of what we've come to expect. That's the other elephant in the room for Virginia Tech is the defense. How much of this is Florida State having way more talent? How much of this is the fact that it doesn't appear like Virginia Tech has gotten a grasp yet on how to stop big plays from opposing running backs? I think a lot of it is the latter, Ed. I think Tech, yeah, or Florida State, yes, has some explosive backs in 
in uh, in Benson. He had uh, two big runs. But the fact that Tech didn't seem to be able to stop it at all, that's a problem. And, and I would say this. If it was just a one-time thing, it would be one thing. This seems to be a reoccurring issue with the Hokies. This is... Uh, you know, Virginia Tech is, is second to last in the country in terms of allowing plays, uh, rush plays, of 50 or more yards. The only team worse is Marshall. That's a problem. Virginia Tech is, it's not just a one-off. Tech has been consistently bad in that area all season long, and that's a problem. That's a big red flag. Brent Pry, he coached defense. He coached linebackers. The linebackers have not been good. They're three of the worst four or five players Grading out-wise per PFF against the run. That's a big problem. You've got Chris Marv, the defensive coordinator, a former linebacker. Sean Quinn, the other linebackers coach. He's coached linebackers before. These guys have been around the game. And for Virginia Tech's run defense to consistently be this bad, that is a big, giant red flag waving in the wind. But I think you look at the rest of the game, how it played out on Saturday, there were a couple of different positives to take out take away from it. I think one of them is that Tyler Bowen, the offensive coordinator, seems to have found a little bit of a groove, albeit even if the offense is slowly making progress. You looked at things and tried to put a positive spin on it at the very end. David Cunningham from TechSideline.com and at the Real D Con A on social media that connects with him. The way Brent Pry phrased it, in the Virginia Tech Radio Network post-game show, which you could hear on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg 93.3 FM, the app, and VTR in Southside 106.3, every time Mike Burnup tried to you know praise the effort of the team and the fight they showed, Pride did circle back to the fact that ultimately you just can't be in that position and make those mistakes. Is it a sign of a guy who at least gets it from that perspective, or is there still too much of a concern of the defense for which he's supposed to have more knowledge, that they can't get it fixed, that that's irrelevant. I I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's good that Pry understands it, but I think it's also kind of a common sense thing. How could he not understand it at this point? This is the the one big problem. We talked all week uh, at Tech Sideline about Florida State's passing offense and Jordan Travis and Keon Coleman and and how good this, this passing offense was. Florida State barely had to throw the ball. And Tech did a pretty good job of limiting those guys. That's a positive. The problem is that this run defense continues to be an issue. And I think Pry understands it. Pry is probably very frustrated. I think it's a little bit of a coaching problem and a little bit of a talent issue. I don't think Tech necessarily has the talent to implement what it wants to do on that side of the ball. That's a problem. But I also think... Insanity is, the, is, what do they call it, this, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? Like, I think at some point, you have to coach it a different way. So I think it's a little bit of both, and I think Pry's probably very frustrated. The good news is, if you take a look at the last six games on Virginia Tech's schedule as we're halfway through the year, the Hokies have winnable games. The only one I would chalk up as a game I don't expect Tech to even have a chance in is Louisville because the Cardinals looked very good against Notre Dame on Saturday. The Hokies have opportunities. They've got Virginia. they got Boston College. they got Wake Forest, Syracuse, North Carolina State. These are winnable games. If you can string some stuff together, not shoot yourself in the foot a lot, you will have an opportunity to take home victories. I'm not saying Tech is going to win four games and go to a bowl, but, man, Virginia Tech has chances. 
And I think that's the positive takeaway from this. But no, Ed, to your question, I'm not surprised that Pry's being all down about this because I think anybody knows that Brent Pry wants to win more than anything. And he's dealt with so many losses in his time here between last year, between this year. And just when it seemed like the Hokies found something good last week against Pitt, you come back, you spot Florida State essentially 22 points in the first quarter, and you go home with another disappointing loss. David, thank you for the perspective. We will follow more of it at techsideline.com and at the Real D Con A on Twitter and Instagram. Appreciate it, Ed. Talk to you next week. Indeed. David Cunningham with us in the fast lane talking Virginia Tech. Now to the Liberty Flames. Now to the Liberty Flames with Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster for the Liberty Flames. Joining us in the fast lane, Alan, a pleasure to be speaking with you. The win on Thursday night against Sam Houston State may not have been the most aesthetically appealing victory for Liberty. They needed a late defensive stand, giving up 96 of the 99 possible yards. But they did show resolve and toughness, particularly down the stretch, coming up with big plays when it mattered most. How much is that a staple of what you take away from Liberty's victory, that not all of them are going to be pretty, but especially in quirky situations, you got to find a way to pull them out? Ed, first off, good to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I don't think any coach is going to complain about a win. Uh, you're going to celebrate it no matter how uh, pretty or uh, ugly it might have been. Uh, you're still going to take it and chalk it up and move on. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, defensively um, that we learned a lot about this defense. And they said after the game, this is what we know inside our locker room. Uh, we're a good defense. And now finally the country, the conference, now knows how good of a defense that it can be. And uh, credit Kobe Singleton with coming up some key uh, PBUs down the stretch there. Um, so it's good to have the defense win the game every once in a while because the offense you know, really wasn't clicking like it had been the last couple of weeks. Um, so to see the defense kind of uh, pull through there was a good sight to see. Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster, Liberty Flames with us in the fast lane. You referenced Kobe Singleton. What does it say about him? What does it say about the culture that Jamie Chadwell has instilled that, you know, he got called for some questionable uh, defensive pass interference penalties, you could say, uh, down the stretch, but ultimately he was able to get himself mentally corrected uh, and focused for the big fourth down pass breakup to secure the win. Yeah, certainly, Ed, uh, to your point, earlier in the game, uh, if you recall, Kobe was beaten uh, on a play that Sam Houston scored on. And so... You know, those kids, you have to have that next play mentality, as cliche as that is. I don't try to live in cliches, but it is true. He was able to move on. Brylin Green, uh, one of his uh, secondary uh, mates back there, said in the press conference uh, on Saturday leading up to tomorrow night's game that, hey, we know what kind of player Kobe is. Sometimes his emotions might get the best of him, but uh, the best Kobe is when he is flashy and I don't want to say arrogant or cocky, but there's a confidence about Kobe and how he plays, and that some players need that to be the best version of themselves. And so to have his teammates kind of back him up, say, hey, you're good, we got you, you're going to make a big play, that's the confidence they had in him that they've seen all year long, and for him to manifest itself that last play defensively um, was exactly what that defense knows that kind of player he can be. 21-16, to the Liberty Flames knock off Sam Houston State on Thursday night. Now it's a quick turnaround as they battle Jacksonville State on the road at Jacksonville, Alabama, not Florida for clarification purposes, as Alan York will be there for the call tomorrow night, and he's with us now here in the fast lane. Alan, that turnaround for Liberty, 
Is it more challenging, as most fans would believe, the five-day turnaround from Thursday to Tuesday, or is it a little bit better now because Liberty's at least back in a rhythm of some sorts? Well, they're coming off of an open date as well, um, which was uh, FIU at the end of September. Now, they won that game, and they had, what was it, 12 days to prepare. I think it's going to be not as much of a challenge as maybe we think or we make it up to be in the media uh, because of how resilient kids are and how they were able – they got a great training staff, great strength staff to prepare them for this five-day turnaround. If you get through this game tomorrow, then you get back into a normal rhythm with six days between games. Now, granted, they're midweek. And then after the Western Kentucky game, you get another week and a half off before you get back onto it. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal as maybe we build it up to be. But, hey, that's our job is to make storylines. And I get it. We're going to do the same thing on the radio tomorrow. Uh, but I don't think in the grand scheme of things it's going to be that uh, big of a hurdle for the fight. That's a good thing for Liberty. The other challenge is the more realistic one, which is the opponent in Jacksonville State. Is this maybe the one area where, I mean, Jamie Chavell is a fantastic coach, but he may be meeting someone similar on par in terms of his resume and results and Rich Rodriguez, who has built a pretty good roster and a good group of players at Jacksonville State. Yeah, you know, last year they won their uh, quasi-A-Sun championship. You got to go back and see the story of what they did, creating their own rings on an unofficial A-Sun championship. I thought that was really cool of what uh, Jacksonville State did. Uh, you know, top two defensive teams in the league. I think Liberty does have the edge statistically when you look at the offense and how it has produced, uh, but they haven't faced a defense like they're going to uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so as I had a, another interview with Mike Paris, the radio voice of Jacksonville State, he has a morning show down in uh, Alabama. I told him today this is a particular game that is going to be so razor thin uh, with that margin of error. It always is every game, Ed, but this one's going to be one that I think whoever controls the ball with time of possession, although I think that's a stat that Jacksonville State could care less about, as high octane as their offense is. But if Liberty can uh, win the time of possession, take care of the football, it's going to be in good shape, I think, tomorrow night. That's good news for the Flames. Alan York will be on the call as well, and he's with us here in the fast lane. Alan, travel safely down to Florida, or not to Florida. I made the Alabama. slip. <laughs> I even made it after making it correct. I mean, I'm, I'm like Mario Cristobal over here, not learning from my mistakes or something. <laughs> wow. Appreciate it, Dad. Always appreciate the time. Enjoy the show. Indeed. Thank you much. Alan York with us here in the fast lane. Come on, Ed. I mean, that's a rookie mistake. No, that's not a rookie mistake. That's a Mario Cristobal-like mistake. That's a good one. Feedback is coming. I mean, look, it's just served up on a silver Ed, platter. I'm, I, Come on, man. What do you mean, come on, man? I can't believe you got it wrong. What? You got. You said Florida. Jacksonville, Alabama. Because of how ridiculous it is. It's it Jacksonville, is. Alabama. We'll have picks, by the way, tomorrow. A little mini votes of confidence. You know what? Just imagine the Rich Rod yelling emoji. Or yelling. That's <laughs> that's what's going on right it's now. It's kind of like me, only maybe less controlled, which yeah, we'll is kind of hard. We'll have a Tuesday vote of confidence and a Tuesday keeping receipts. Yes, we will be doing both tomorrow in the fast lane. But when we return, we'll be doing a second edition as well of covering the Commonwealth. NASCAR, and yes, a chance for us to utilize this song. Haters can't stand us. Left hand by the way and say how i was right again oh not just that trey but 
I've got a story about that song from over the weekend. Ooh. Apparently, it's popular with the ladies. I'm not joking. That when we return here in the fast lane.